Well, please turn in the scriptures to that psalm, Psalm 139. I'm sure it is very familiar to many of you. My message this evening is searched and known. Searched and known. Our God is a great big God. Our God is a great big God. Our God is a great big God and he holds us in his hands. He's higher than a skyscraper. He is deeper than the deepest sea. He is wider than the universe and he is beyond my wildest dreams. And he's known me and he's loved me since before the world began. How wonderful to be a part of God's amazing plan. And in conferences and camps and children's clubs all over the United Kingdom and in assemblies, Christian workers with a rainbow strap guitar tell people, children, to sing that song. He's known me and he's loved me since before the world began. And it begs a question. If you believed with all your hearts that the Lord, the creator God who searches all our hearts and before whom no creature is hidden, if you believed that this God had a special purpose for you, a plan for you, that he has, in the words of his psalm, laid his hand upon you. If you believed that, how would you talk to him? If you knew that he knew all about you, verses 1 to 6 in this psalm, that if you knew that he was always present with you, 7 to 11, if you knew that he planned every aspect of your life down to the minutest detail, verse 13 to 16, so you are always in his unblinking eternal gaze, how would you pray if you believed that and you trusted that? How would you wake up in the morning? How would you respond to the deep evil in the world? How would you think of your future if you believed that God himself had a plan for you? And this is, of course, something that an unbelieving world finds ridiculous. A special plan, a finger in the sky saying, this is you. You just see a superhero film or the Lego movie and it's kind of ridiculed. This idea you Christians have some kind of Messiah aspirations, the kind of idea that you are the special one, that everything works out for you. What do you mean by that? This is something that an unbelieving world is sceptical about and yet haunted by. Listen to these lyrics of song by the fleet foxes. This is not actual foxes, this is a band and this is their song. Listen to this. I was raised up believing I was somehow unique, like a snowflake among snowflakes, unique in each way you can see. And now, after some thinking, I'd say I'd rather be a functioning cog in some great machine, serving something beyond me. 
but I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what that will be. I'll get back to you someday. You will see. What's my name? What's my station? I'll just tell me what I should do. I I'm, was born in 1981. I'm, I'm gratified to find out that still counts me as a millennial, so I'm still young. And uh, we raised Generation Snowflake, where everything revolves around me and my safe space and my safety. And yet we know there's something wrong with that, to think you're somehow special above everybody else, and yet we're haunted by it. What is my place? What is my station? And even Christians, we find that. We know that the Lord is good and loving, and yet if we're honest, that God has a plan for me, so I'm walking to my sixth form college on a, a rainy day. I'm getting into the office. I'm in the middle of some crisis. And that God has a plan. He's laid his hand upon me. The health and wealth preacher says, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. And it just seems like Clinton Card stuff. Really? If you believe that deep in your soul, that God had a purpose for you, how would you respond? What I want to say this evening is this. If you are a Christian, Psalm 139 is your story and is to be your prayer. You can pray this. That's what I want to say. First of all, I'm going to say a Christian can pray this psalm and then I'm going to give you three ways that we can pray this psalm. And you might say, well, you've come all the way from the armpit of Wales, down to Cardiff, to tell me that we can pray Psalm 139. I know that. I know that as the Lord's people, many of you reach instinctively for this. But what I want you to do, I want to do a bit of Bible study now. I want us to see that we can really pray this psalm as Christians. We can really pray it. And the way to understand that Psalm 139 is really yours as a Christian, is to see that it belongs to somebody else. This psalm is not, first of all, your psalm, and it's not, first of all, my psalm. Have you been to a children's party and seen past the parcel? There's the parcel being passed around the circle, and there's little Judy, she's four years old. Oh, I want it to be mine. I want it to come to me. I want it to pass me. And it goes around person after person after person, and it, it ends up with somebody else. I want us to see that this psalm is an incredible gift, but it belongs in the hands of someone else. See, at the heart of the psalm is this deeply intimate relationship between you, the Lord, and the me. And the question is, who is the me? Oh Lord, you have searched me and know me. Who is the me? Who does this psalm belong to? Well, you say that's easy. I'll just read the title. It's a psalm of David's. The me, first of all here, is David, Israel's greatest king. He was specially chosen by God, the last of his brothers, chosen by the Lord for the purpose of kingship. The Lord laid his hand upon him. He had separated him from before his birth for this. And all the ups and downs of his life, all the enemies, all the times he was banished, 
he could say that the Lord had a purpose for him. So you read through the psalm and you can read it from the lips of David, a man who had been tried and tested. Lord, you had searched and known me. You know my sitting down, my rising up, my thoughts from the far, even in the experience of exile and difficulty. David could pray this prayer. So we go around the circle. This belongs to David, the great king, the man of God. And yet the language of Psalm 139, we find echoes of the experience of men of God in Scripture who've been raised up for special purposes. This psalm have echoes of their language. So verse 5, Moses, you've hedged me in before you've laid your hand upon me. Moses, the man who was sheltered in the rock under the hand of God. Verse 18, Abraham. If I count your thoughts, they would be more in number than the grain of sand. Abraham, the man of God, who was told to count the grains of sand, his offspring would be more than the grain of sand. And even Adam, the first creation of God, woven in the depths of the earth. Do you see, this psalm has all the language of men who've been raised up for special purpose of God. And the old covenant believers of Israel in the ups and downs of their lives as a nation. They could look at their king. They could look at this psalm and know that they, as the people of God, had been chosen by him as the son of God. They'd been chosen by him. Book 5, which Psalm 139 is in, the collection seems to be that many of these psalms of David were put together at the time of their experience of exile, a massively dislocating time for the people of um, Israel when uh, because of their constant idolatry and their refusal to turn to the Lord, they experienced the wrath of God, removal from the land, and exile in Babylon. So the fact that they could read this psalm in exile and pray it, here's their psalm, it's a gift to the people of God, it belongs to David, it belongs to Abraham and Moses and Adam, it belongs to the people of Israel, it's theirs, it's not first of all ours, but here it is coming around the circle and there is a great son of David's who in his human nature was exactly like ours, who cried out with um, cries to God, a great king who had a real human nature, a true Israelite, the Messiah, Jesus Christ. It goes round the circle. Who does this psalm belong to? It belongs to Jesus. This is the cry of Christ himself. Jesus in his human nature could say, Oh Lord, you have searched and known me. He is the one who experienced exile for our sins. He is the one who was fully known and fully loved by God. You read Luke's Gospel and there is the young Jesus in the temple and he knows that he has an intimate relationship with the Father. He knows the Father has set his hand on him. So we can read this as coming from the lips of Christ. The Lord, the Father, knew all about him. He was acquainted with all his ways. In his absolutely exhaustive knowledge, he had raised up his servant Jesus, who was fully God and fully man. There was nowhere Christ could not go. You can imagine Jesus praying this psalm in the wilderness, singing this psalm. Even as he gets up early in the morning, 
and he seeks time on his own. He knows the presence and the purpose of God's. Do you remember the Lord Jesus saying to his mother, my time has not yet come. Here is a son of David who lived with the consciousness that the Lord had raised him up and laid his hand on him. And even in the darkness of the cross, verse 11, even in the abandonment and the experience of banishment and judgments, not for his own sin, but the sin of his people, he could say even in the darkness, in some mysterious way, God is present. Jesus, through the eternal Spirit, offered himself to God. All of who Jesus is was under the plan of God. His inward parts, the virgin birth, a human nature joins to the eternal nature of the Son of God. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. That my soul knows very well. The Father knew his plan for Christ from the beginning. Christ rejoiced. Christ could say, when I am awake, I am still with you. And in that resurrection morning, the human Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, could walk out the grave knowing that the Father was still with him. This song is the song of Christ. And I just want to say in your presence, hallelujah. All the Bible points to the Lord Jesus. The Bible is all about him. And we get the most benefit when we see that even familiar passages point to Christ and his experience. I think this is wonderful. As some of you have old symphonies on records and it gets a bit dry and crackly and you can get a new stereo and suddenly that old symphony bursts into life. And when we see Psalm 113 coming from the lips of Jesus Christ, it bursts into life. Because here's the thing. This is Jesus' psalm. And he shares it with us. There's this psalm. It goes around the circle. There's this bag of sweets past the parcel. There's Judy. Oh, I wish I could have it. I wish I could have it. It ends up with somebody else. She opens up the presents and she shares it with everybody else. Because Jesus Christ shares this with us. Because the deepest truth about a Christian is that we are united with the Lord Jesus Christ. We have union with him. We are in him. We are joined with him. And so this psalm, we can pray in union with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we can pray, because we belong to Jesus, that we are searched and known in him. That the Father has set his love upon us in Christ. This is incredible knowledge. He has laid his hand upon us. So we as the church are united with Jesus. I just think this is incredible. It's not God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. It's God loves you and has a wonderful plan for his church. And whatever condition we are in, we do not escape the gaze of the Father because we are in Christ. We are in Christ. This is Psalms. This is Jesus' Psalm and he shares it with us. And because Jesus has taken our darkness, verse 11 and 12, there is no darkness that we will ever face where we can be truly abandoned. He has laid his hand upon us if we are in Christ. 
This is an incredible psalm because it is the story of the Christian that the Father has seen us from afar. He has loved us and He has run towards us in Christ and taken us to Himself. We can know we are searched and known because of the Lord Jesus Christ. We can know that God has a plan for us, that He wove us together. He made us for Christ. How precious are these thoughts. We can wake up, verse 18, and know that He is with us. And if we are in Christ, you will die. And one day you will wake up and you will know He is with you forever. This is the Gospel. I live in a house, we have an attic. Sometimes I make the mistake of trying to carry on the conversation with my wife when I'm up in the attic and she's downstairs and we shout together through a door. Well, you can't really carry on a relationship that way, can you? You have to get down and you have to open the door. You might be here and you know that there is a God, a God of love. You get comfort from Psalm 139, but you don't know Christ. Let me tell you, you're just talking to God through the door. You don't really know God until you've come by simple faith to the Lord Jesus Christ. And he opens that relationship to you. Let me plead with you, if you don't know Christ, to come to him. Come to him through the Lord Jesus. And he will take you in. This is the story of someone who trusts in Christ. And if you're a believer... However shaky you feel, however long or new you are a Christian, we can say in an incredible way that the Lord has a purpose. Not because we're super spiritual, not because you know, we've got some inside track, but because of Christ. And if I am in him, then this is true of me. This is glorious. I've made a meal of that because I want you to see this is Christ's son and he shares it with us. So if you are a Christian, and only if you're a Christian, you can pray this psalm. Let me ask you the question again. If you believe this, and we can believe it and be confident of this through Christ, that God has an eternal purpose for you, how would it affect your life? And how would you pray? Three ways from this psalm. First of all, look at verses 1 to 18. Humble wonder, humble wonder. What is striking about Psalm 113 is that in the first three sections, it's the tone of it. The singer is acknowledging the complete exhaustive knowledge of all of his ways by an eternal God who searches and knows him. He is sifted in a sieve. He is at the bottom of a glass bottle and God sees everything about him. And yet the tone is not one of cringing fear. It is of utter delight and wonder. Can't get over this with Psalm 113. This is not somebody who believes in God, but God is like some cosmic dictator with the inside track on everything he does, that he's constantly monitoring him on CCTV. This is one who knows that God knows everything, and finds it a wonder, a delight. He's not on the run. One commentator says this, this is not the song of one who wants to escape but can't. This is the song of one who cannot escape and has no regrets and doesn't want to. Of course, 
the Father and the Son, there is this wonderful relationship of love. The Father totally knowing the Son. The Son totally delighting in the Father by the bond of the Spirit. This is one who's constantly in humble wonder at the love and the knowledge of God. Humble wonder. If you believe that God loves you in Christ, express humble wonder. Where can I go from you? When I awake, I am still with you. Let me tell you a little secret. You've got a little bottle of poison. I've got a bottle of poison. And we take it with us everywhere. Even as Christians, we've got this bottle of poison. And it's a poison. It's full of regrets. It's full of pride. And it's full of what we should have done and what we hoped to do. And if we don't watch ourselves, we drink this poison every day. And what comes out is just bile. It's just... Just nonsense and anger. And Psalm 139 says to us, just this humble wonder says, stop drinking the poison. Drinking the wonder of Christ and what he has done. Express humble wonder. As we come to Christ, as you pray in your church, as you pray uh, on your own, if you pray for the first time as a new believer, we can say, Oh, Father, you've searched and known me. I am so thankful. I am humbled in your presence. God is not a distant ogre, minutely managing, like in some cosmic dictator. He is a Father who has loved me in Christ. In all the ups and downs of life, in the darkness, he is presence. And... It's interesting, isn't it? Verse 1, you have searched me and known me. The bigger the you is, the more significant the me is. The greater we see the love of the Father and his glory and his rule and his greatness and his majesty and his power, the more incredible it is that he should set his love upon us in Christ. So first, brothers and sisters in Christ, please come to Christ. Express humble wonder Second thing, 19 to verse 22. If we really believe this, we express humble wonder, but we also express holy zeal. If you really believe that God is for you and he loves you, how will you pray? You'll pray with delight and wonder, but you also pray like this. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. Depart from me, therefore, you bloodthirsty men. This is not an afterthought here. The uh, psalmist is not drinking poison. He's been drinking wonderful medicines. This is the prayer of one who loves God so much, who sees his glory, who knows his plans, and desires that wickedness and those who stand against the God who is there would be brought to an end. This is strong meat. You see, the wonders of the gospel, I hope that none of what I've been saying struck you as just comforting platter, that I'm trying to kind of marshmallow you and give you a comfy pillow. Because this is comfort, but not complacency. Because the Christian is in a battle. And we can pray with holy zeal for the glory of God. See, when we see this as the psalm of Christ, it is a comfort to me that these words are first on the lips of Jesus who never sinned. That he prayed with holy zeal that all God's enemies would be defeated. 
that Jesus hated with perfect hatred all those who stand and stood against God. He longed for the coming of the kingdom and the day when he returns. He longs for the kingdom of God. And humbly we can come and pray with holy zeal that God would be honoured, that those who stand against the church would be beaten and pushed back, that evil would be brought to an end. Alec Mature, Bible commentator, says this, maybe if we attain the spirituality of verses 1 to 18, we'd be in a position to judge the morality of verses 19 to 24. You see, if God is everything, we are to be on the Lord's side. And we can pray with honesty for his enemies to be defeated. There's an Anglican preacher who says, well, one way that God defeats his enemies, Christopher Ash said this, is uh, by taking them out, by converting them. Saul of Tarsus, how was he defeated? He was gloriously saved. Apparently Abraham Lincoln said this, my enemy ceases to be my enemy when he becomes my friend. We can pray with holy zeal for the destruction of God's enemies and in his sovereignty he can answer that for the good of souls. We can pray for the glory of Jesus Christ. We pray with humble wonder, we pray with holy zeal and we pray with honest scrutiny. If you have bathed in the all-knowing loving gaze of God's, and you believe that he is your father, and no purpose of his can be thwarted, if you have prayed with honest zeal for the goods of his kingdom, you pray with honest scrutiny. This is what you say, verse 23 and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties. There's something great, isn't there, about having another pair of eyes to look at you. Quite often when I go out to church, uh, my ties skew with and uh, my notes are left in the house and I've forgotten my keys. I'm an absent-minded person. I'm so glad for another pair of eyes in my house. My wife who asks me, who says, who scrutinises me, a loving gaze. Isn't it incredible that as Christians we can come to the loving gaze of our Father in Christ? Say, would you search me? Would you look at me? Is there anything in what I've said, what I've done, what I've expressed? See, the Lord Jesus Christ in his human nature relied completely on his Father. He was without sin and yet he could pray this. Search me, know my heart, know my anxieties. He didn't go through life with a sickly smile above troubles. He trusted his Father in everything. See if there is any wicked way in me. And because of Christ, we can pray, lead me in the way everlasting. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. This is the eternal path. Because of Jesus, because this psalm belongs to him, we can pray, looking to Christ with humble wonder, with holy zeal, with honest scrutiny, because our God in Christ is the end of the journey. Do you know Christ? Do you know God in Jesus Christ? Do you come to him? Have you known the smile of the Father? If you are not a Christian, if you haven't come that way, let me say, home-weary wanderer, come to him. Come to him tonight. And if you are a Christian, 
God in his incredible mercy has ordained the composition of this psalm, the human nature of Christ, the cross, every aspect of your life for your good and your glory. How great the comforts we can know. Stop drinking the poison. Put that bottle down and bathe in the love of Christ. Our God is a great big God. Our God is a great big God. Our God is a great big God. And he holds us in his hands. He's higher than a skyscraper. He is deeper than a submarine. He is wider than the universe. And he is beyond my wildest dreams. And he's known me. And he's loved me since before the world began. How wonderful to be a part of God's amazing plan.